Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm too lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. In hope. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good to see everybody this morning. We're going to begin Sunday school. If someone could step out in the foyer and tell all the folks that are mingling around the building, showing off their beautiful Easter outfits this morning. Somebody help me out here, Brother Brad. I feel like I'm in a box. I got a lot of reverberation. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Turn to someone near you and tell them Happy Easter. Amen. want to welcome our online guests, especially want to say Happy Easter to brother and sister Silvati. Brother Silvati is home. Amen. And he is recovering from surgery, and we certainly are missing them today. Good morning, Brother Silvati. Love you very much. Wish that you could be here with us. We know that you are in spirit. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 11. Feeling a little bit of urgency this morning. I know we're all got Easter on our mind and smoked turkey and ham. That's what's happening at my house. I'm just saying. So... No, you can't come over. Huh? It was not an invite. It was bragging, and I'm sorry. Not, not at all. You people don't know an invitation when you know. You're in, you're, if I said, would you like to come, that's an invite. Just talking about it, it's not. So. Okay. Ushers, escort, escort them out. Ushers. All right. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Luke chapter 11, verse 29, and when the people gathered thick together, he began to say, not your typical Easter topic, this is an evil generation, they seek a sign, and there shall, be, there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet, for as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man be to this generation." The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. I want to say how happy I am to have my daughter Rachel, who's not in here at the moment, and my son-in-law John home visiting for Easter, make it a great holiday celebration for us. Glad to have them here, and I know uh, many of you know them and welcome them, and my granddaughters who are full of vibrant energy, amen? And we're praying some of that vibrant energy into the spirit when we began worship service this morning, amen? That's what we need. I watch them and wonder how 
how they could ever run out of energy and then they just suddenly collapse. But that's how it works, right? Um, I know many of you expected probably for me to continue in the Beatitudes series. Sister Jessie's nodding her head, and, and I will, I promise, but it is Easter, and I did feel led to go in a little bit different uh, direction this morning for this Easter Sunday. So three times in the Gospels, Jesus speaks about Jonah, and in these three passages, there are two uh, specifically distinct incidents. Both of them are, are happening in the midst of a, a public conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus Christ. And in each of these, the Pharisees are demanding that Jesus give them a sign. Uh, they wanted a sign to prove who he was, and they wanted a sign to prove that he had authority over them. But in both instances, Jesus, uh, in only the way that he could do it, rebukes them. And uh, anybody ever been rebuked? Right? Someone told you about yourself and you didn't like it? Well, listen, when Jesus rebukes you, Okay, you probably get your feelings hurt when somebody tells you about yourself and they're right or they're wrong, you'll get your feelings hurt. But when Jesus rebukes you, I'm sure that's probably a, a pretty big thing, right? But the problem that they had was that they were stubborn. Anybody fit that bill from time to time? There are a few, there's okay, there's a half of you are honest, the other half, you're going to get it in a minute. And so if I asked us this morning, if I polled the audience and said, what do you know about the sign of Jonah? You would say, well, Jonah is a type or a sign or a symbol of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this certainly is true, but there's a little more to that. And I, I want to kind of compare that. So we read from Luke chapter 11, but Matthew chapter 12 is the same passage written by a different author. And so they're, they're very similar. They're parallel passages here. Jesus is the one who's making the comparison between himself and Jonah. Now, that's kind of a, an oddity maybe for some of us, but Jesus, Luke kind of leaves out the part that Matthew adds in in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, and he says, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And I began to look just kind of from a, a high level at the setting and the conversation and what's going on here, and, and it struck me um, because I've been there uh, and probably been this type of person at times that it's, it's really, it, it amazes me how hard it is to get someone to believe something that they don't want to be true. No matter how much evidence, no matter how much truth there is to what you want that person to believe, if they don't want to believe it, right? It's really hard to convince them. And so that's what's going on to, to, well, that's what's going on in this passage. And so for us today, the ultimate sign of God's power is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We understand that. We grasp that. We get it, right? And, and so for, for these Pharisees, no matter how much evidence, no matter how much conversation there was between these religious people and between the Lord Jesus Christ, there was going to be an issue. And so here, I, want you, I don't want you to miss the point here. I'm talking about the resurrection, but I want you to see that there's more to the sign of Jonah than there is about just the resurrection. And so it's really the most important part is the resurrection, but there's a little bit more to it. And so the prophecy was of a, re of a resurrection. And 
this prophecy, this great prophecy that was prophesied all through Scripture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, while it is a great message and a great blessing to those of us that believe, but for people who do not believe, it's the opposite. It's, the, it's condemnation. And so, you know, what is that, the, the old saying, one man's junk is another man's pleasure, right? What blesses one man curses one man. What blesses one nation curses another nation. And, and so, so in this setting, what, what, what should have been the greatest blessing for the Pharisees turned out to be an element of judgment in their life. And so Jonah was a prophet, and you understand that he was a prophet to the people of Israel, but this particular man in the Old Testament was used by God as an instrument of blessing, not to solely to the nation, the, the Israelites, right, but to a pagan nation, uh, right, uh, in Nineveh. And, and so it was through Jonah's preaching that God brought a great revival to a place called Nineveh. And it was a tremendous display of God's sovereign ability, the grace of God that, that, that prefigures the work of the gospel. And, and it's, you know, it, it was a great thing. You say, so, okay, so what's the big deal? What's all, what's all the fuss about? You, you got to kind of get the high-level picture. The, the, the Hebrews... And the Ninevites were not friends. They didn't share a common border. They weren't like Canada and the U.S., right? They, they were enemies. They, you know, these were monotheistic Jews, and these were pagan-believing Ninevites, and they, they were not together. And so a Hebrew prophet preaching to these Gentiles, you know, pre preaching to these pagan worshipers, these, these sinners, and, and literally bypassing the self-righteous, self-glorifying, religious, pious pharisaical believers. It's a big deal, right? It, it, it really is. It is a big deal. And so what, what are you talking about on a, on a Resurrection Sunday, Brother Roberts? I'm going to tell you there's two basic Bible principles that we need to really understand. God says that he's going to have mercy on whomever he will have mercy. And he'll harden whoever he desires to harden. So that's a principle of the Word of God that is threaded through Scripture all the way from the front of the book to the back of the book. And there's, there's a second one. God is opposed to the proud, and he draws near to the humble. Those are things that we talk about in church all the time. And so all of this is implied in the sign of Jonah. It's like a two-sided coin. You know, one side of that coin, you know, you, you want it to flip, and you want the call to be yours because there's a blessing if you win the coin toss. But it really isn't just a coin toss. There was something going on here. There was a sign of judgment against those who were looking for a Savior, and there was a sign of blessing on the other side by a prophet who had no business being in Nineveh. And so Jesus points himself out as a type or a symbol. And now we understand, or we should understand, that a type is a divinely inspired foreshadowing. Of, of a greater truth that, that could be hidden for the moment, but it's going to be fully revealed one day. But the, the, the point of a type and a shadow in the Scripture is that it's always going to glorify God. And so what, what are you saying, Brother Roberts? I'm saying that this is a, a prophetic picture of something that's going to happen in the Scripture. This is what Jonah's journey was. Now, I know how many of you were taught about Jonah in Sunday school, right? You get that picture of Jonah getting spit up by the fish and and right, and he's got seaweed hanging all over himself, and you know, all of that stuff. Anybody, your Sunday school teachers went to great length and, and told you about all that stuff. I'm not sure all of that is true, but if you begin to look at, at, at the, the type and the shadow of Jonah, the, you know, when we look in the scripture, 
all throughout the Old Testament, there are symbols that point us to Jesus Christ. These are diff- they're deliberate prophetic symbols that tie the different parts of God's revelation together and show it to us as inspiration. And, and so if you just would step back from, from whatever it is that you're looking at this morning and look in the Bible at the sheer number of types and shadows and symbols that, that tie all the different parts of God's revelation together, that they, they inspire us, right? So what, what are you saying? I'm, I'm saying that, that this, this book was written over several centuries by multiple different people that authored it, right, in dozens of seemingly unrelated parts. And yet when I opened this Bible, I got one story with one theme, right? It's clearly, if you, if you have any information at all about the Word of God, you're going to see it clearly as a single inspirational work of one great mind. It is the mind of God. And, and so according to Jesus, Jonah was one of these types that was pointing to something that was so much greater, this Old Testament type. And, and, and we know we could kind of step back and say, well, Jonah, you know, he was the worst prophet there was. He had a bad attitude. He was rebellious, right? I mean, he, he really wasn't like, you know, you would not, okay, you know, you're going checking out new churches, trying to find a church, and, and you meet Jonah, you know, and, and Jonah, Jonah's not the preacher you want. You don't want to be in his congregation, I mean, right, Brother, Brother Jones years ago preached a message that he was the, the worst preacher in the world, right? And, and, and truly, right? And, and so, but the, the, the similarity, the symbolism here is that Jonah goes into the darkness, uh, the death-like darkness of a great fish for three days and three nights, and he emerges miraculously alive, right? And so my, my point is this morning that there, there's a deeper meaning in the story of Jonah than just simply Jonah got swallowed by a whale and got spit up on the, on the shoreline, right? And so we, we've got to understand that there's a, a similarity between the, the, the process of Jesus and the process of Jonah. Now, the people that Jesus is talking to, they, 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 they understood that jo- Jonah was unique among all the Old Testament prophets because for this one simple fact, throughout all of history, I can't find any place in in the Bible where another prophet was sent to a pagan nation other than Jonah. This kind of is over the edge a little bit, you know. You see all these prophets, and they're ministering to Israel or ministering to Jews at Judah. They're ministering to the people of God. But this really is kind of out of the character of God for God to tell Jonah, hey, hey, Jonah, you're a great prophet, but I want you to go to Nineveh. And as I began to think about this, well, maybe that's kind of some of Jonah's attitude. Wait a minute, God. All the prophets came before me, they got to go to the good people. They got to go to living hope. They got to go to the good church. Now, I got to go down to that church down to, I, I don't want to, I don't know them people. I don't like them people. The, I, my whole life I've been told they're not my people. And now you want me to go and preach. And I know, I know you, God. I know if I go down there and preach to those people, he didn't say that, did he? Those people, he did. If I go preach to those people, you're going to do a great work, and they're all going to repent, and they're going to be saved. And, and, and Jonah was looking, wait a minute, God, didn't you say when we come in the promised land, wipe them all out, kill them all? Don't let none of them survive, right? Commentators literally tell us that the Jewish leaders would look, there's only four chapters in the book of Jonah, and they would look at the first and second chapter because that's the story of Jonah and the whale. But they made no reference to chapters three and four about the revival in Nineveh. 
None whatsoever. And, and so this fact maybe could have escaped these particular Pharisees, right? You know, because they're challenging Jesus. We want a sign. We need a sign. And his mention of Jonah to them, it would have been something very specific. And, and I'm sure that they felt the sting. But unless they were really void of all spirituality and completely missed the point, but just in case they did, in that parallel passage I told you about in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus underscores it when he says, the men of Nineveh are going to rise in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Now, I, I don't know, and I've been in church for a minute now. If somebody came in and said, y'all don't know what you're talking about. You ain't even in the book. You're missing it completely. And... And those people that had no truth, didn't worship a true God, are going to rise in judgment against you. Well, Trey, that hair on the back of my neck would stand straight up. That anger would, come on, be honest. You'd feel that sting too. It'd be like that proverbial slap right in the face, okay? It would be bad, right? And so... Here's what Jesus was saying to them. He, he wanted to make sure that they felt the specific impact because he's using Jonah to them as a point of condemnation. We got to kind of get this big picture a little bit. And so, you know, Jesus, they're, they're saying, listen, you show us a sign. You show us why we should believe you over what we think we know to be true. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to do that sign. I'm not your puppet on a string. I'm not going to dance your dance. I'm not going to sing your tune. I'm not going to do all those things. He said, listen, just look around you. All, all, all of the signs were already there because many of these same people had either seen or if they hadn't seen, at least certainly they had heard about Jesus healing all these people and casting out devils and feeding multitudes and even Jesus raising the dead. And now here they are and they're asking him for some beer, bigger miracle. Well, you know, those are pretty good, but we want a cosmic sign. We want something astronomical in proportion. We want a sign from heaven, you know. We want, we want something really miraculous. Why don't you do what Joel prophesied and, 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 and let the, the sun be turned to darkness and the moon be turned to blood? That's what we're looking for, you know. And, and so they, they wanted proof on their own terms. But Jesus rejected their, you know, Jesus rejected their, their, their desire for proof. Why? Because they had overwhelming evidence right in front of their eyes. You know what? Jesus, if you just submit to our will, if you just produce the kind of evidence that, that I want in my life, then, then I'm going to, you know, there was not one thing sincere about their request. Because if you go through and look at the Bible, it's clear from this passage, more than any other place in the Gospels, the scribes and Pharisees already had made up their mind about Jesus Christ. I kind of have to pause there for a second because the truth is, the reality is, even though we're in the house of God this morning, in many ways, we've already made up our mind about Jesus Christ. The Bible would go to great detail about this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. The Pharisees, the Bible says, went out and conspired against him how they might destroy him. You see, the point is they wouldn't have acknowledged him no matter what sign he did, no matter how dance he danced, no matter what. They would never have acknowledged him. John chapter 11, verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees get together in a council, and they said, what are we going to do? 
This man performs a lot of signs. He's doing all these miracles. They had seen his power. They saw the supernatural signs. They had no reason to doubt him, no reason to reject him except for this. Look at verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. And no, oh, here it is. The Romans are going to come and take away our place and our rulership or our nation. Jesus posed a threat to their way of life. And so their, their fear is political consequences. And, and so the truth is they had a lot to lose. They had Jesus upset the balance was going on, and so they rejected him, and their, their rejection was deliberate and final. And so their demand for a sign, Luke puts it in this way. He uses a verb tense that emphasizes that their, their demand for a sign was relentless. It was a frequent taunt. They hounded him all the time. They kept seeking a sign from heaven. If you go through the Gospels and read, every time they talk to Jesus, show us a sign, give us a sign, show us a sign, give us a sign. Finally, Jesus said, you ain't getting no sign except for the sign of Jonah. Right? Your mom ever told you that? I'm not giving you no juice. I told you you're not drinking before you go to bed, and don't you ask me again. I'm not. Right? And you could just see Jesus is mad. Don't ask me again. I'm tired of telling you. You're not getting no more signs. You look around, I mean, and you know, from our perspective, 2,000 years later, what is wrong with these people? Can't you, can't you see that this is Jesus? And Jesus flatly refuses. Come on, some of you parents are, are giggling. Like you can see Brother Robert saying, uh-uh. Right? Unless you're a grandbaby. Okay, sweet. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Rachel, no, you can't have it still, but the babies maybe, okay? But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39, an evil and an adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. In other words, you know what? You're going to have a sign, but it's not a sign on your terms. It's a sign on my terms, and you need to understand that. We've got to grasp this, that the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most significant, unparalleled sign in the history of man. There's nothing like it anywhere. It's it's a miracle of all miracles. It's the greatest miracle that has ever happened. Listen, it's a miracle that involves no human activity. There's, There's no human motion. There's no human work. There's no human movement whatsoever. There's no explanation for it except for the, 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 the divine power of God. Humanity wants to look at, at something. They want to look at, at, at a miraculous healing and say, well, you know, it's, it's the physiological causes or even it's the natural process of the body. You know, all of the, the white blood cells and the red blood cells got together and, and miraculously, you know, got rid of the cancer and all that stuff. They, they look at the signs for the tray in the heavens and they go, well, you know, it was just, a, it was just some natural phenomenon or it was just a, an eclipse or it was just the alignment of the planets. And they, they want to, they want to, Make, they want to make an explanation for what happened in the miraculous. But when you bring somebody back from the dead, hear what I'm saying? When somebody who was verified to be dead and put in a tomb and been dead for three days walks out of that tomb, you can't explain that. You can't, you can't rationalize that. 
You can't get all your scientific eggs to line up in the basket. They're not going to work for you. And, they, so, and so Jesus said, listen, this, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, there's a type here. Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, and you can't explain that. And I'm going to be in the belly of the earth for three days, and I'm going to walk out of there, and you won't be able to explain that. But you want a sign. You want all of this. All, anything else that he could have done would have been anticlimactic. It would have been disappointing. Because over and over in the scripture, these people should have known exactly what was going on. And so this morning, Luke highlights three aspects of the sign that I think are more, are not more important, but they're just as important as the resurrection. So Luke omits, he leaves out the part about Jesus being three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, that's a pretty big omission, but I, I believe it's there because the assumption is made that the reader understands that. Matthew explains the sign of Jonah as the reference to the resurrection that we've been talking about. But Luke goes this little step further, and he, he draws a parallel between the ministry of Jonah and the ministry of Jesus. Look at verse 30 of Luke in our passage here. He says, For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. You see, Jonah's sign to the Ninevites was his ministry. What are you talking about, Brother Roberts? I'm talking about this. Jonah had a message. Jonah went to Nineveh not just because he was a church or just because he was a Hebrew or just because he was a man of God, but Jonah went to Nineveh with a message. What, 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 did, what, did, what are you talking about? Well, he went down and preached repentance. Well, okay, where's the parallel? Well, what was the message of Jesus? In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, tells us from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, pretty similar message to Jonah, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And, and so imagine what it must have been like for a Jewish prophet to travel to a pagan nation and begin to preach to repentance to people who had never heard the word of God. They didn't know that there was only one God. And there's nothing in there's nothing that lets us know that he he preached a monotheism message or a one God message or a Jesus baptism message. He preached repentance to people who didn't know anything and the Bible says that they repented in sackcloth and ash. They put the dogs and the cats and the Easter bunnies and the hamster and the goldfish in sackcloth and ash. And everybody in the whole nation repented. And so, what are you talking about? What is that? So, you got to understand what's going on here. You know, the, 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 the Pharisees are like, you got to give us a better sign. You got to give us a greater sign. Jesus, in the book of Matthew, chapter 16, the story of, of Lazarus and the rich man, the, Lazarus was a rich man and he died and he went to the bad place. And, 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 and Lazarus, he, he was a poor guy who never had anything, and he went to Abraham's bosom. He's almost in heaven. He's getting ready to go in. And that, that, that rich man, in his, in his audacity, he looks up and he can see Abraham and all the people that are going to heaven, and he's in torment in hell, and he can see all this stuff. And he said, he said uh, Father Abraham, would you send that poor beggar Lazarus back down here and let him dip his finger in water and just set it on the tip of my tongue. And Abraham said, that ain't going to happen, buddy. You made your choice. You didn't believe when you had an opportunity to believe and you sought after all the things of this world and now you've been rejected. And, and, he, and he said, that can't happen. He can't get across here. 
You know, I think that's very audacious of, of the rich man to think that the poor man would come down and bring him water just because he was in hell, that he earned. Oh, that's mean, Brother Roberts. I know he's not there by accident, right? Okay? But Abraham, so the, the rich man changed his tactic. He goes, hey, he says, wait, 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 hey, Abraham, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you can't do nothing for me, the torment is so bad here. If you can't do nothing for me, then why don't you send somebody back to my brothers and my mother and my father and my sisters and let them know about this bad place? And here's Abraham's response. In, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 31, Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses, if they won't listen to the prophets, if they won't be persuaded, even then if somebody rises from the dead. Uh, you got to understand with me what's going on here. We're not going to get some greater sign than the Word of God. He's given us a message. We've got a great, the message is the greatest sign you're ever going to receive. I, I know the resurrection, I believe the resurrection, but the resurrection, well, it might get you out on an Easter Sunday, but that word of God, that message of repentance is still a good old message from, from the book, and it still works whether you've been in the church for 10 days or 10 years or 30 minutes or 30 years. It's still the message that's going to be a sign. Those people had no idea who Jesus Christ was. The Ninevites had no idea what the Bible was or a prophet was. But here comes old Jonah, the worst preacher ever lived, walks down there and says, repent. God sent me to tell you to repent. And they changed their whole culture. They changed their whole world. But here are these stubborn, stiff-necked, rebellious Pharisees. They're looking at miracle after miracle and wonder after wonder. And they're like, give us a sign. Are you touched? Is there something wrong with you? Did you not just see that, that dead man get up off of that thing and walk away? Did you not just see that? Did you not hear what is wrong with you, right? Listen, you got to understand, in, in a few moments, when Pastor Staten steps to this pulpit and begins to preach the gospel on an Easter Sunday morning, it's going to be a sign to this generation, well, we need God to do the miraculous. No, 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 no. We need a man of God to stand with a message. Listen, somebody hear what I'm saying to you this morning. That's the sign of Jonah. Jonah had a message. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. We're going to have great church today, but great church is not based upon some miracle that happens. Yes, I believe in miracles, and yes, I want a miracle to happen, but when the man of God begins to open the word and begins to preach a message of repentance, it's a sign. It's a sign from heaven. So oh, um, we're waiting on God to do something great. God is doing something great every time your pastor opens the book and begins... I'm excited to teach this this morning. I, I'm excited about this. Why? Because Nineveh is 600 miles from the ocean. What? That's stupid, right? Jonah was spit out of a fish and had to travel 600 miles to Nineveh. It's not likely that one single person from Nineveh ever saw that great fish regurgitate the prophet. There's no hint in the book of Jonah that the Ninevites even knew that he was in the belly of the whale. There's nothing there. We can make that assumption, but Jonah simply showed up one day in Nineveh and began to preach repentance. And it was, listen, it, it was a sign to the Ninevites. 
Luke underscores this in verse 32. He said the men of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment against this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And we got something greater than Jonah. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh, Jesus says, you know I'm going to get some heavenly sign. You're going to get a simple message. You're going to get something straight from God, right? Jonah, Jonah, you know, what are you talking about? He was the most unmotivated, messed up, rebellious prophet to ever put his feet in shoe leather. He was. He was not. He, he wasn't the best. He wasn't the first choice. If you were picking prophets, you would send Jonah last. Jonah, God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah went the other way. You got to understand this. The, the, the Ninevites had no, no miracles. There was no display of the power of God. There were no signs. There were no wonders. There was nothing to stun them out of their unbelief. But they simply repented at a message. And those Pharisees, they'd seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and people in Nineveh so they saw nothing. In the history of the world, there's never been any other group of miracles like the miracles that Jesus did. And not one person comes to Jesus, right? Everybody that came to Jesus for healing got healed. Every, every, and the Pharisees were like, yeah, okay, good, good for you. Great stuff, good job. Golf clap, good job, Tiger, three-foot putt. Way, way to go. This was a deep rebuke with several layers to the religious establishment. And we're guilty of it. Sometimes we come in, we want, we want some great message. We want some wonderful message. But every time the man of God, no matter who he is, steps to the pulpit and opens that word of God, you got to know. Listen, I'm telling you, I, I, I shared with you all throughout this Bible, you, you show me something that doesn't work together. You show me something. Listen, the history, the, 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 the prophecy, the, it just lines up. It just goes. It just flows together. And when a man of God opens this word and begins to preach to you, it's greater than somebody walking out of a grave. It's greater than the, 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 the lame getting up or the blind. Oh, I would love to see those things. And they're needful. They're necessary. And they're a part of God's plan. But you got to understand when somebody raises up this good book and preaches truth out of it, it is a miraculous event. Oh, give us a sign. I know, Pastor, I don't want to put too much pressure on you today, but it is Easter. I sure hope you can bring a good word today. I just hope, Pastor, you can get it done, you know. Listen, there's no excuse for that unbelief, and that's what that is. That's a spirit of unbelief. The Ninevites, they didn't even have a sign. Paul wrote it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He said, the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks are seeking after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, a stumbling block, and under the Greeks, foolishness. There are people in our world that are walking around today and they're going, that message don't make no sense to me or it's just foolishness. I don't know why you people got to go to church. And I don't know. No, no, you don't understand. If you're looking for a greater sign, you're not going to get a greater sign than this. The message is still. Well, that, that, that preacher's hard to follow. He, he's too loud, and I don't like this and this and this and that. You can just dislike what you want to. you got to understand how important this is. 
Jesus said there's going, to be, there's going to be a nation that's going to rise up in judgment because they all repented at the, at the preaching of the worst prophet who ever stepped in shoe leather. And you got a great preacher. you got the word of God that's going to open up before you. They didn't have a Bible in Jonah's day. Jonah didn't walk up and say, let's turn to the second book of Timothy. Timothy. Oh, oh, oh. And Paul wrote, Paul hadn't wrote anything. And Jesus said, Jesus hadn't said nothing. He had nothing. He had simply a message from God, and those people fell on their face and repented and changed their life, and God did a miraculous work among them. And those same Pharisees knew that, but they said, there's only really two chapters in the book of Jonah. We doubt the canonicity of chapters 3 and 4, because we're not really sure why God would send a prophet of Israel to (coughs) the pagan nation. My goodness, the Assyrians... They believe in all this other junk. Listen, that's the wrong attitude. you got to know today, you don't, oh, I, I know, I just can't get excited about the gospel message. When Pastor Staten gets up and preaches the gospel message, you got a sign from heaven. Well, I, I just can't. I've heard it so many times. It's still a sign. It's still a miracle that the word of God, all these 2,000 years later, is able to be opened and preached in front of you and in front of me and in our hearing. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. So the message that Jonah had doesn't include the signs and wonders. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says it this way. How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation which first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by them that heard him? Look at verse 4. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So here's point two. The sign of Jonah involved a miracle. There is an undeniable miraculous element to the sign of Jonah, the prophet. It wasn't just the miracle that they wanted. Jonah is that type. He's, he's the prophetic picture. He's the miracle of surviving, being preserved inside of a fish for three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard scientists trying to explain that. Well, you know, if it was this type of fish, it's possible that there was a a big air pocket, and uh, it's possible that he could have, you know. Probably, I've even heard somebody tell me, well, he probably could have ate some fish that the whale swallowed up at some point in time. Quit rationalize all this stuff. The man was swallowed by a fish. The man was eaten by a whale. That's what the Bible says. And we can rationalize it and put it in our, right, try to make it make sense. It's not going to make sense. It was a miracle of God, right? Now, Christ is the antitype. He's the greatest miracle, right? The greatest miracle that ever happened was the day when he got up out of the grave on an Easter Sunday morning, just like this, and he walked out of that grave after being dead for three days alive, right? you got to understand this. Jesus said it this way, only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign you're going to get was of Jonah, right? And so they wanted this astronomical sign, great proportions, earth-shaking, cosmic, undeniable miracle. But 2,000 years later, we understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave was the visible evidence and proof that they demanded that day. 
What are you talking about? I'm talking about they're going to receive their miracle. But they had got to the point where their rebellion and their unbelief reached that place where they would put their own Messiah to death. That is a sad state of affairs. That is horrible, right? That, that sign is going to come. Jesus Christ emerged from the belly of the earth three days later, and those multitudes in Jerusalem, what did they do? They began, listen, you got how many people? How many people repented on the day of Pentecost? 3,000 people. A couple of days later, 5,000 people. Just start reading through the book of Acts. Why? Because that miracle, that sign was so great. It was so phenomenal. It was so wonderful that they just that it just happened, right? And then still, here they are in their stubborn unbelief. They, com- they continued to re- reject Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4, they were speaking to the people and the priests and the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, right? Look at verse 2. And they were grieved. The, 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 the Sadducees, the religious leaders, were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They didn't just say that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They were preaching that you could be resurrected from the dead. They've, gone, they've taken this thing to a whole other level. And I like the wording here, right? The, the other translations, the King James says they were grieved. Other translations say they were very disturbed. My favorite is the English Standard Version that says they were greatly annoyed. People are so annoyed when you tell them Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Why? Because they don't want to believe it, even though there's evidence, even though there's proof, even though there's a great message, even though there's great miracles, they just don't want to believe it. And they became imprisoned in their own mind, in their own unbelief. Jonah had a great message. Jonah was a great miracle. But Jesus Christ has a greater message. Listen, he said, this, you got to understand, there's somebody here greater than Jonah. The third aspect, and I'm hurrying to a close this morning. The Jewish leaders, those hard-hearted men, were impervious to any sign, to any wonder. They, they, they were so rebellious. They were so hard-hearted. They, they, they really just couldn't buy into it no matter what. Jonah the man was that sign, was the only sign that God gave to the Ninevites. And, and they, the closest beach to Jonah was over 400 miles away. He was 600 miles where he, on, on a map from where he got dropped off from the, the fish. But the people of Nineveh did not ever witness Jonah come out of the fish. I'm sure, I, man, I mean, that's a pretty big thing, right? I, that's a pretty big deal. Somebody had to have seen it, and I'm sure it, it got spread around. But Here's what the Bible says. He came to them as one from the dead, a a token, a living token of God's power and God's ability. And his presence in their city signified the power of an amazing God. I still, I'm having a hard time, Brother Bruce, wrapping my head around the idea of a Jewish prophet walking down the streets of an Assyrian city preaching repentance. It's just got to be, it just, you know, it, 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 it's just it's, it's two things that don't go together. It's, you know, it's like avocados and ice cream. I know some of you like that. That's horrible. It's horrible. I couldn't do it, right? And, and so Jonah's presence in, 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 in Nineveh signifies a remarkable superhuman boldness. And, and so his ministry was a display of the power of God. But notice verse 30 of our text. As Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will. Or so the Son of Man 
be to this generation. Luke stresses Jonah's message, and he stresses the miracle of Jonah, but he also stresses the man. And, and you've got to understand the parallel between Jesus Christ and Jonah to, as a sign to this generation. What are you talking about? The message is always going to be a sign, right? How shall they hear? The preacher said it last week, right? How shall they hear, right? They got to have a preacher, right? That preacher's got to preach that word. It's always going to be a sign. The miraculous is always going to change somebody's mind about God. But more than the message and more than the miracle is the man. You, you got to grasp this. The sign, he is the sign of the power of God. We can, Brother Tom, 2,000 years later, we can step back and say, you know what? Jesus Christ was the greatest man to ever walk on the earth. He wasn't a poor preacher like Jonah. He wasn't a, a bad guy. He wasn't rebellious. He was the greatest man to ever walk on the face of the earth. And here he was standing in a room with these rebellious people and telling them because they were taunting him and demanding of him. And here we are today. We've got the greatest message that's ever been given to humanity. What? The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins. He was in the grave for three days, and God miraculously raised him back to life. That, that's, that same message is symbolically put into our lives through repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus, which is a type of burial. And then there's that infilling of the Holy Ghost, that empowerment where God raises the deadness of the spirit of humanity to a place of life. That's resurrection power. And we sometimes can come in here and have a little bit of a pharisaical attitude and go, well, I sure wish that preacher had preached something I like. I sure wish that preacher, I don't like that preacher. I like this one. I don't like this one. I like this one. And we pick and we choose. And we're being just like they were to Jonah. Well, I like the first two chapters of Jonah, but those last two, I'm not into Ninevites. We ain't doing no pagans in here. We don't do that. That's not. Show us a sign. What does it take to have good church? It takes a message, right? It takes a miracle because it's a miracle that this diversity of people are sitting in the same room today worshiping a single soul God, amen? But it also takes a great man, right? It takes the man. And we've got to really put our minds and our hearts and our spirits and wrap around that and get the understanding that, you know what? Here, Jonah, we can, I, I could criticize him. He really was rebellious. He really did have a bad attitude. He really did not want to do what God told him to do. But the truth is, when Jonah began to preach in Nineveh, great things began to happen, Right? I can criticize him all I want to, but the truth is there are people today that aren't going to go to a church on an Easter Sunday, and they're going to criticize Jesus Christ. Well, I don't believe that. Well, you don't want to believe that. Well, if God did something really great in my life, I'd believe that. No, no, you don't want to believe that. You don't want to believe that there was a man that was born of a woman that was, it was put in her by the Holy Ghost. You don't understand that. Why? Because there's a generation that's going to rise up against an unbelieving generation and is going to bring judgment upon them. 
We live in a skeptical age. They're so skeptical of religion. Can you, they can't imagine that God is wiser than them. Convince me and I'll believe. Make it happen, right? And so this morning as we lift our hands, listen to me. As you lift your hands in worship, we're going to, here we are in just a few moments, we're going to enter into a worship service, and when you lift your hands, you are standing with the worst preacher that ever preached a message in his life. You are standing with Jonah and the Ninevites as a sign of judgment against a generation who refuses to believe. I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it. No matter what you do, I won't believe it. Go ahead. But that same spirit, that same attitude, they missed the message they missed the miracle, and they missed the man. I've come too far, Brother Tyler. You can't tell me that Jesus Christ is not the greatest man that ever stepped foot in sandals. You can't convince me of that. You can't convince me. Why? Why? Because I want to believe that he's able to do everything that he said. And you can't convince me otherwise. You could never convince me that this message is not true. But here's the thing. There are people that are coming in today, and they're going to come in with a skeptical attitude. Well, I'm here. It's Easter. I come every Easter, but God hasn't done nothing for me yet. You got to know this. You got to grasp this. This is, this is my point this morning. When you lift your hands... It's a sign to the unbeliever. When you begin to lift your voice and sing, it's a sign to the unbeliever. When you begin to say, amen, pastor, that's the greatest message you've ever preached. You're a, it's a sign to the unbeliever. When you begin to clap your hands, it's a sign. But if you sit there like a bump on a log, it's a sign to the unbeliever. I sure wish he'd preach a different message. Every Easter, the same message over and over and over. Man, that preacher is so dull. I don't understand. What are we going to do? That choir, my goodness, I wish they'd get a good choir. Those people can't sing. Oh, my word. Not true about living hope at all, I promise you. But there's a spirit that walks in the door with every bit of humanity that says, show me a sign. And Jesus said, the only sign you're ever going to get is the sign of Jonah. I wish somebody would say, I am part. I'm going to lift my hands with the people of Jonah. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to preach with a preacher. I'm, why? Because there's a sign and there's somebody here greater than Jonah ever was. Amen. Come on, God is going to do something great in this place, but you have got to be a part of the process. You can be rebellious and say, I'm not going to worship. You can say, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, oh, I'm tired. I got, I got plans. You can put all of that. It'll be there when you're done. I'm going to lift my hands for the tray. I'm going to dance. Brother Silvati, I know you're watching at home, and I hope you get out of that chair and just wiggle a toe if that's all you can do. But do what you can do, because I know if Brother Silvati was here, he'd be down here in the front as a sign. He'd be worshiping God. He'd be doing whatever he had to do to magnify God. Come on, somebody. I'm going to magnify the Lord. Let's stand together. Let's magnify the Lord. Let's set an atmosphere in here for the miraculous. But let's set an atmosphere for the message. Because at the end of the message, so many people that are going to walk in this building today are going to come down front and meet the man. And that's an important thing. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Greet somebody. Tell them happy Easter. We've got about five minutes. We're going to enter into, we're going to enter into our worship service today. In Jesus' name.
Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.